0: Fathers are awesome, are they not? Even when they don't even realize it, they're awesome. Those amazing dad reflexes that just jump out. Those were some excellent saves. When we think about it, you know, they don't even think sometimes. It just happens. Even when the fellow's sleeping on the couch, <laughs> motion grab. There's the child. But we must not forget how awesome our Father in heaven is also. He probably has the best save of all. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 tells us that, that God demonstrates his love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He stepped in and he took our place on the cross so that we would not have to pay the penalty of our sins, and, and he's made a way possible for us to rejoice and and, and celebrate life that is eternal in heaven. Romans 8, 31-39, Paul asks this question. He says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Well, God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What a wonderful heavenly father we have. And He steps in at the last moment, and He saves us. And yet, as we discover in our passage of Scripture today, yet sometimes people fight against Him every day. They battle to avoid His love for them, and they fight to get their way and struggle to maintain their independence. So I I propose for you this morning that, that how foolish it is to fight against God. Life is so much better when we just simply acquiesce to His ways and to His plans. So let's look at our passage of Scripture this morning out of Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, and we're going to go down through verse 18. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky. And it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, And the wild beasts, and and, and I saw crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Now this happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky and Behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The spirit told me to go with him without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and, and we entered the house the man 's house and, and he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing. In his house and saying, send to Joppa and have Simon, who is called Peter, brought here. And he'll speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as He gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and they glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. You know, sometimes... You had to break with traditions or regulations or even the law in order to be obedient to God. And that's what's taking place within this passage of Scripture. At the command of Jesus, Peter gets up and he goes into the house of Cornelius, a Roman citizen. Not only a Roman citizen, but a centurion. He's a captain of the guard there in the palace area of the emperor. And going into Cornelius' house as a Jewish man, was against their law. He he could not do that. As a matter of fact, they took pride in the fact that they would not go into the house of a Gentile. And While Peter was sharing this gospel message with Cornelius and his household, and all the Gentiles who were gathered there, suddenly the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had done to Peter and James and John and Matthew and Thomas and the list of all the other apostles. It fell upon them and they too began to speak in other languages that had not been their normal custom of doing Peter recognizing that this is the gift of the Spirit upon them, he doesn't, he doesn't squabble about anything at all. He realizes what is happening here is God is embracing them just as he has embraced us. And it was then that Peter decided it would be proper to baptize them. And so we know in the previous chapter that he ordered them to get baptized. If you're going to have the Spirit, you need to do this the right way. And they followed through and that whole household became Christians that day. Now, Peter, because of his earlier vision while he was in Joppa, he must have figured that God was about to do something really significant. And so he went. And he broke his own Jewish customs law of walking into the house of this Gentile man. But he didn't go alone. (laughs) he realized something's about to happen. And so he takes with him six other Jews who have become Christians, and they're going to be his witnesses. So this isn't just going to be about his own say-so. He's also going to make sure that there's plenty of people who are going to witness what God is doing because God has called him to go to the house of a Gentile and to come and to communicate with him and to preach to him the good news. And I better make sure I've got some backup. Smart on his behalf. Because when Peter returns to Jerusalem those who were, quote, circumcised, these are the Christian Jews down in Jerusalem, they begin arguing with him. There you've got a little contention going on because Peter has just broken the law. And they need to confront him over that issue. How could you dare go into the house of a Gentile and you even ate with them? You know that you're not supposed to do that. That's against the law. You see, it's because they believe that only a Jew could be saved. Now, that's a little bit different from our understanding today. But you have to really understand this. The Jewish nation from Abraham forward believed that they were chosen by God to be separated from this world and that nobody else would be able to partake in His blessings because they were not Jewish. And that God was against everybody else except them. And they have a history to prove it. Because God would always go before them into battle and fight for them. And God would always bless them against the nations. And sometimes he had to punish them because of their unfaithfulness. But they were his people, see. And and so nobody else could become part of this newfound faith of Christ except for the Jews. Well, maybe you might be Gentile. And if you are a Gentile, maybe you need to become Jewish first in order to become Christian first. Second, and so they've got a problem with this, and they taught that as a Gentile, your only hope for salvation was to become a Jew, and that was accomplished by the rite of circumcision, followed up by baptism, and then obedience to the Mosaic law. That's the only way, as a Gentile, you might hope to have salvation. In the early church, some of those radical thoughts were growing within the church, and they insisted that the Gentiles also had to be circumcised before they become Christians. And so they caused real confusion and division among the new believers in the church. But Jesus did not only look kindly upon those who would be offending in the faith of the child that had come to trust in him, he says, even let the children come to me. It wasn't a matter of who they were or where they came from. Jesus had come so that he would be the Savior of the world. Paul was so upset with those who offended the new believers with this issue of circumcision that he tells them in Galatians chapter 5, verse 12, he says, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. In other words, He's got a little little heated discussion with them. Matter of fact, as Peter comes into Jerusalem, they call him on the carpet. They're ready to read him the riot act because he has just done something and he has, pro- he has baptized them without them being circumcised first. How dare you do that, Jesus or Peter, because that's not right. And so their accusation is, you went to them and you ate with them. In response, Peter shared with them his vision. And by the command of the Spirit, he said, the Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. When God says go, i got to go. And I shouldn't think twice about it. Just do it. I mean, you've been there before, haven't you? You know, Should I go? Should I stay? And that moment of hesitation and sometimes that moment of hesitation keeps us from taking that step forward. And we never would experience that which we could have enjoyed. And so the Holy Spirit in this vision tells Peter three times that God is making clean that which they believe to be unclean. And let me tell you, Gentiles are filthy, dirty. At least according to the Jewish nation. But God has cleansed them and wants them, which in reality is you and me, to be a part of his kingdom, to be a part of his grace, to be a part of his forgiveness, and a part of what eternity lies ahead of us. And it's not just for the Jewish people. He's saying this message, this gospel, this good news is for everybody. God holds no one back from receiving this wonderful gift. And to make it so evidently clear... He demonstrates to Peter and these six Jewish fellows who are with him by sending his spirit to reside upon them and they begin speaking in languages and going, oh my goodness, how did this happen? Peter says it just like it happened at the beginning of the church. Remember that day we were all up there in that upper room and we were praying, 120 of us, and all of a sudden the spirit fell upon us and we began to speak in different languages and we went out and the church began He says, if God did that to them as he did it to us, who am I to hinder them from becoming Christians? Who am I to stand in God's way? And really, that is the question we need to ask ourselves. Who am I to stand in God's way? If he wants to move things forward, we should not pull it back. If He wants to refrain things from going forward, we shouldn't push to get our way. Mike spoke earlier about this visa issue. Should we push? Should we pull? Should we jump? Should we call somebody? Should we grease some palms? What should we do? We need to learn to let God be God. And sometimes... Not getting in his way is the best thing of all. And that's what Peter was saying. Who am I who should stand in his way? Now, in Job, chapter 9, verse 12, Job asks this question well, who can restrain him? He's talking about God. Who, who, can, who, can keep him from doing, who can keep him from doing what he wants to do? Who could say to him, What are you doing? None of us. God is going to act and be and do just as He pleases, and none of us have the ability to contain it. So his friend Elihu asked Job, he asked them this question in Job 33, why do you complain against Him? Why are you arguing against God? Why are you fighting Him? I mean, He's going to do what He's going to do, so just give in to Him. I mean, it's a reasonable question. I mean, why, why go against Him? What can you possibly hope to gain by fighting God? Isaiah said it this way, in Isaiah 50, 45, verse 9, he says, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. Oh, yeah. you've been there. You probably have seen it. The son finally grows up a little bit. He's looking eyeball to eyeball to his dad, and he finally decides he's going to put his dad in his place. <laughs> and the rest of the family goes, Whoa, ho, ho, ho. "Ooh, that's not a good thing to do, you know? Who are we that we think we can stand in the presence of God and, and argue with Him and tell Him our way is better? It's not going to happen. And I say, it says, woe to that man. Because, you know, it's, it's a dangerous thing to stand against God. Who are we? I mean, can you not see how foolish it is to go against him? I mean, if God were cruel and he were seeking to destroy you, I might see a reason why we might want to argue with him. You know, please don't kill me. But he's loving and he has your best interests at heart. So why not let him have his way rather than think that we know what's best? Jeremiah 29.11 The Lord says, He says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. God's got it. He's got it all figured out. And sometimes we want to write our own plans. Now, we read in the Scripture that there were those who tried to stand in God's way. Let me give you some examples of people who tried to stand in God's way and not let him accomplish his purposes. You remember Pharaoh in Egypt? Which Pharaoh? How about the one that lived during the time of Moses? All right. So if we go back in that passage of Scripture, we discover that in, in Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, <clears throat> Moses goes before Pharaoh and, and he says, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go... That they may celebrate a feast to me in the, de- in the wilderness. But what's Sarah say? Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Besides, I will not let Israel go. Over and over and over and over, matter of fact, ten times over again, Pharaoh stands in the way of God. And in the process, learned just who he was. God first turned the waters of the Nile into blood. And then God covered the land with frogs. And then God covered the, uh, the people and the animals with lice. But he kept saying no. And then God filled the land with flies and he devastated the livestock. And he covered the people and the remaining animals with boils. And yet Pharaoh continued to say, no. Then it rained great hailstones upon the land that it killed the livestock, and it devoured the fields there, and they were destroying the crops. And then God brings in great hordes of locusts that ate everything that was left where those crops remained. And then God covered the land with darkness And finally, he killed the firstborn sons throughout all of Egypt. But he wasn't there done yet. You would think Pharaoh would have been enough when he says, okay, go. But Pharaoh decides, what have I done? I'm going to go get them back. And so he takes his army after Moses and after all those people. He goes after to get them. He thinks he's got them cornered there at the Red Sea. And what does God do? He parts the waters, creates dry ground for his people to find their freedom on the other side. And as Pharaoh in all his stupidity thinks, if they can do it, so can I. And he and his army of chariots go in and the waters cover them. Now it is possible that some of the miseries and the hardships that you are presently going through in your own life are the result of your seeking to stand in the way of God and the work that He's really trying to do in your life. Abijah. Another story. Abijah was the great-grandson of David. And, And he has now come to the throne room at the death of his father, Rehoboam. And he is going to become king himself. And so he decides he's going to go up north to the tribes of Israel under that new kingdom that they've established under Jeroboam. And he wants to communicate with him. And Jeroboam has led a rebellion against the throne in Judah. And has created his own country. And so Abijah goes in there and, and he has rebuking Jeroboam for seeking to stand in the way of God and His kingdom, and trying to set up golden calves for their people to worship in the high places. And he said that they allowed anyone to purchase positions of priesthood within his new faith. And so Abijah declares here in Second Chronicles chapter 13, he says, beginning in verse 12, Now behold, God is with us at our head. And his priest with the signal trumpets to sound the alarm against you, O sons of Israel. Do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you will not succeed. But Jeroboam had set an ambush to come from the rear. So that Israel was in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind him. But when Judah turned around, behold, they were attacked from both front and rear. So they cried to the Lord, and the priests blew their trumpets. And then the men of Judah raised a war cry. And when the men of Judah raised that war cry, then it was that God routed Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. And when the sons of Israel fled before Judah, God gave them into their hand. Abijah and his people defeated them with a great slaughter so that 500,000 chosen men of Israel fell slain. Thus the sons of Israel were subdued at that time and the sons of Judah conquered because they trusted in the Lord, the God of their fathers. It is disastrous to stand in God's way. But lessons still weren't learned. Remember the story about the kings of Moab, Mount Seir, and Ammon? And they gathered their armies together because they were going to go after Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Israel, and they were going to conquer Judah one more time. And so we have this story in in, in, 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat, he was afraid of what these men were going to do with their armies. And his attention went to to turn to seek his attention to the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And so Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat, he stood at the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said this, O Lord, the God of our fathers, as you, are you not God in the heavens? Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you? Did you not, O oh our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? Now, now this, is the, this is the time that when the Spirit of the Lord came upon the prophet uh, Jehaziel. And he said to them here in verse 15, Listen, listen all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, he says, Go down against them and behold, they will come up, By ascent of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves, stand and see the salvation of the Lord your God on Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out and face him, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Now the next morning they get up and they go out and they find themselves a nice little place to look down over the valley there, and they're going to watch and see what God is going to do. They're prepared to fight if they need to fight, but God says, don't worry about it. I got your back. I got your front and I got your sides. I'll take care of everything. And so we see that the story progresses just a little bit further. These kings think that they are going to go against God and they're going to destroy this nation of Judah. But God says, you're going against me. So the next morning, here we have, they rose early in the morning and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat, he stood and he said, listen to me, O Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. When they began singing and praising the Lord, set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were routed. Isn't that a wonderful way? I'd like to see if our armies could go into battle that way. Wouldn't that be great? You've got an enemy standing against you. Go stand on the hillside. Look down in the valley and watch what God is going to do. And while you're there, why don't you just start singing songs of worship? Get everybody dressed and we're going to praise God for what he's about to do. And so they gather early in the morning and Jehoshaphat says, Let's sing! And they start singing and in the midst of the hold... God shows up and somehow ambushes all these kings and their armies and he destroys them while the people give him praise. Who am I that I can stand against God? You see, there are consequences for standing against God. And and obviously Peter understood that. So he says, okay, let's baptize these guys. I'm not going to. If God's telling me we've got to do this and that they're part of the kingdom, I'm not going to tell him, no, they're not. Peter knew better than to stand against God. And God wants to do the same kind of work in our lives today. Now, you can stand against Him if you want. He gives us that choice, you understand. It's not like He forces us to do it His way. But he asked that we would. God wants to do this work in life. He allows us to say no. It's interesting in the story of Peter and his vision to call the Gentiles. When the Lord first let down the sheep with the many different animals and, and, and all, he commanded Peter to kill and eat. And Peter said, no way, Lord, I'm not doing that. He was trying to stand in the way of God, but God was insistent. And so three times he gives him that vision. And what a blessing it is when we finally yield to God. When you let him work freely in and through your life and then you discover what his glorious plans are for you. Kind of like a master potter as he's taking the clay and forming it and shaping it and molding it. But all of a sudden something happens and that clay it starts to do something that he's not really wanting. And it gets marred and it gets, it gets cracked. and it gets, All he has to do is begin to form it again. Even when we go against him and we, we scar ourselves. He has the ability to recreate in us a newness of life. He's patient. He's going to start over until he has accomplished his purpose in our life. Listen to what David said in Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I wake. You see, that's exactly what Christ seeks to do in us. To mold us into His image. Look how Paul writes it in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. When we think all things are impossible, God always shows us a way to bring glory to His name. Just when you think that maybe life is over, that life has dealt you a terrible blow and you want to just quit, I want you to understand that God can use you in ways that amaze and astound even the harshest critics. Mandy Harvey grew up in a minister's family, uh, preaching in a Christian church in Florida. And yet being raised in what some people think is probably the perfect household. We know that preacher's households are perfect, right? she found out that there were still difficulties in life. She found herself growing more and more hopeless with her ability to hear. She had a genetic disease that was causing a dysfunction in her hearing and eventually lost all sense of hearing. But being a Christian, she learned not to give up and that God would give her the strength to overcome even the terrible disasters and disabilities. Instead of standing in the way of God, maybe we should learn to stand in his presence and allow his work to be done, even in what we would see in our own self as weaknesses.
1: Hello. Hi, how are you? And what's your name? Uh, Mandy Harvey.
2: And who's this?
1: My interpreter. What's your name? Sarah.
2: Nice to meet you, Sarah. Nice to meet you, sir. Hi, Sarah. Doing well, thank you. Hello. Okay, Mandy, (laughs) so I think I've worked this out. So you're deaf?
1: Yes, I I lost all my hearing when I was 18 years old.
2: Wow. And how old are you now?
1: Uh, 29. So it's 10 years.
2: Wow. And Mandy, how did you lose your hearing, if you don't mind me asking?
1: I have a connective tissue disorder, so basically I got sick and my nerves deteriorated.
2: So you were singing before you lost your hearing?
1: Yeah, I've been singing since I was four. So I I left music after I lost my hearing and then uh, figured out how to get back into singing with muscle memory, using visual tuners, and trusting my pitch.
2: So your shoes are off because you're feeling the vibration. Is that how you're following the music?
1: Yeah, I'm feeling the tempo, the, the beat uh, through the floor.
2: And Mandy, what are you going to sing?
1: I'm going to uh, sing a song that I wrote called Try.
2: OK, can you tell me what it's about?
1: After I lost my hearing, I gave up. But I want to do more with my life than just give up. Good so.
2: Good for you. Okay, well, look, this is your moment, and good luck.
1: Uh, Okay.
0: ability to hear music, sometimes I'm off pitch. And you're there with me too. But not to hear. And we would say music is not for those who are deaf. But Mandy Harvey has just proved us wrong. Can you imagine finding the pitch by feeling your vibration? Amazing. Never, ever stand in the way of God. Mandy uses her disability as a ministry to reach out and to change lives. To share her faith in areas and in places probably nobody would ever have given her a moment's notice. Cornelius, He doesn't deserve to be a part of the kingdom of God. He's a Gentile. Doesn't matter how much he loves God. Doesn't matter how much he prays to Him. He was not a part of the family of God until Jesus made the way. Don't fight against Him. Because when you just simply give in to what His plans are for your life, He will use you in remarkable ways, and it changes the world. All because that man Cornelius spent time in prayer on a daily basis and giving of his own finances to help other people, even the Jewish people. We have been embraced into the kingdom of Christ. in spite of what the Jews wanted. Never stand in His way. Go where He says go. Do what He says do. Be whom He wants you to be. And allow His image to reflect in ways that change the world. I'm going to have an invitation for you.